Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. AfterBuzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Into the Manhattan After Show right here on AfterBuzzTV.com, season one, episode 11, appropriately called Tangier. Big news this week from us. I'm Bobby. This is Marissa. We're both in studio. Thank yeah, goodness. That we are. It's been forever. Actually, it it's been like so two weeks, right. but it feels a long time. We're going to be here throughout the last couple episodes. I think we're both in town for the Pretty last sure. two or three. So yep, yep. everything's back to normal. That's good. And um, we have something cool to announce on the last episode, but we're not going to do it yet. Let's just tease it. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. That was the tease. <laughs> and teasing. <laughs> teasing done. done. Um, there That's is something cool for the last episode. We'll tell you guys about it next week. Let's jump in right now, though. This show, to me, Marissa, let me ask you a question first. Mm -hmm. Because we have a lot of crossover viewers on AfterBuzz who watch a lot of our after shows, Salem included. And yes. I'm only going to bring it up very briefly, because if you didn't watch Salem, I don't want to get too off topic. But Salem was the other scripted show on WGN. We love Salem. Salem has a second season coming out next year. It is my humble opinion, Manhattan is significantly better than Salem. I think so, too, because in certain ways, Salem, they have a lot of different creative um, liberties that can go, yeah. with, especially with adding fantasy element into this. And this is more real-life experiences and people know. And even there are people who still are alive that were alive during these days. So, like, I feel like Manhattan's more authentic in that way, that they can stick to real-life historical facts. And and no shade to Salem, because we did like it. It is a good show, and it's a lot of fun. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. I think as good as Salem is for us, the writing's better on Manhattan. It's tighter. It makes more sense. The acting is better. And no shade again to Shane West and everybody else on Salem. I just like it a little bit better on Manhattan. I don't know. I don't know why. It just hit me watching today with all the twists we're about to talk about that this is even for WGN for any network. This is a great show to be proud of. And so. I think so. And I think the characters are a little bit more interesting too because each episode we delve more deeper into each single person. And on Salem we get a few main people, but that's it. And Manhattan's like, you know what's up with everybody and their personal backstories and who's intermingling with who. Speaking of intermingling, that's a great transition for today's show because it's a lot of intermingling. This mm -hmm. is going to be a difficult after show for us to do, so bear with us because there's about 15 stories that all kind of connect. So we're going to be all over the place today. Let's start at the start of the episode, though. Let's start with Schlimmer. Um, not Schlimmer is, you know those uh, airport magazines you read on the airplane? Airplane? Hammock yeah. or Schlemmer, that thing. That's what I always think of when I hear Schlemmer now. <laughs> but he's not like it's a real guy. It's Magpie. He's a he's a he's a spy. Okay. We learn, um, and he is well. He, he was a spy. Let's he put was. it that way. <laughs> his wife is now dead. She's been executed. He's been executed. Apparently, his head was sent in a box to Washington D.C. What's in the box? Um, which, which it's kind of. It, I was amazed with how they started this episode because that really set the tone for the rest of the episode. That was literally in the first two, three minutes. Um, and so I, I wrote in my notes, 
heavy episode. We're about to, a lot of loyalties are going to be questioned in tonight's episode. And they're starting off, anyone who has any inkling of being a spy, you're going to be taken out. And I thought we were going to see Hitler. We didn't see Hitler. Maybe we still will. We mentioned Maybe. it. They teased it. Hey, let's go shake the Fuhrer's hand. I lost it. I was like, we're going to see Hitler. We're going to see how they do it. Didn't happen. Nope. But that's okay. Nope. So, Schlimmer's gone. Magpie's gone. Now, in America, that matters because he was their mole. He was their source of information. That won't be happening anymore. At least, unless they get another way to do it. Oh. But let's use that with Colonel Cox now. Because our interrogator, the guy we love to hate, who interrogated Sid, who interrogated Sid's wife, who is kind of in everything. He knows all the secrets of everybody. Which is, a, which is a problem. He comes mm. to Colonel Cox, demands microphones. Cox doesn't want to do it until the guy drops the name bomb on him and says, your superior general, your commanding officer... You know, we had dinner last night. I'm his buddy, and he's pissed. Um, <laughs> so much. apparently things are tightening up, which is real interesting because we know Cox has a mole, and the interrogator spends the rest of the episode trying to find out if it's Frank, if it's somebody Frank told, whoever it might be. But Cox has always, from our perspective, run a very tight ship. And now that's being questioned by this interrogator. And everything this interrogator touches kind of blows up a little bit. You're not clean after this interrogator touches you. So maybe Cox is, is I don't know, down the line in the next last two episodes this season or something else. Maybe Colonel Cox is going to be questioned at some point or removed or something like that. Because anytime this interrogator comes around, he wouldn't be around if there wasn't something going on. Exactly. I was like, this interrogator is good at his job. He knows what to look for. He knows when something's off and something's fishy. And the fact that he's going to Cox and Cox is making an argument, he automatically realizes, oh, he's on my tail. I, I had to cover for myself now, too, because I told people, I yeah. told Frank about Magpie. Who else did Frank tell about Magpie? So Cox, he's really just covering himself. Cox, don't open your mouth. You shouldn't have yeah. told Frank. Frank is too much of a rogue. We've known that. But whatever, it happened. So Cox is going to have that to worry about. We don't know how that's going to factor in. But let's talk Frank now, because then the interrogator goes to Frank, and we sort of see the interrogator work through Frank's team. And there's that interesting point, and I knew this was going to happen when I saw the scene before the interrogator said it. He said, who on your team is talking? Are you talking to, you know, Fritz and, and Meeks and Paul and blah, 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 blah. Or is it your wife? Pause. Or is it your maid? Yeah. It's the maid. It's definitely the maid. It's got to be the maid. Well, you would think that, but also it shows who else knew about Frank's I think it's in, the maid. infidelity. I think it's the maid. Remember that but scene? But we haven't even seen Paloma. But remember, I mean, remember, granted, she knows a lot of stuff, but... Remember, like third episode in, fourth episode in, Frank was in the car talking all about what he does to Paloma. And at the time, yeah. we were like, oh, she doesn't understand English. That's so cute. He just wants to get it off... Yeah, sure, she doesn't understand English. She totally knew English. She went back and told, you know, the cousin or whoever it was, the maid is a spy or somebody with the maid is a spy. Something's going on there. That's I know that's a prediction very early on. Or that man who's saying. been following Frank knows what's up, too. And he knows that any secret that he told Paloma, maybe he also knows the secrets that he told Paloma. Maybe he actually heard what Frank was saying. So maybe not just Paloma and the maid, but maybe this mysterious guy who we still don't have his name. Maybe. I, I'm still a fan of Paloma. I think Paloma's dirty. I think you wouldn't write in that affair. It's a weird affair because Liza's so likable. And Frank, in a mm -hmm. personal life way, was so likable. It wasn't like he was a jerk like Lancefield. 
So I and, and Frank is old. Charlie's young. Maybe he gets caught up in an affair like he almost did with Helen. Yeah. Frank's been married a long time. He knows how the game works, and you wouldn't expect him to do that. Frank's so the wise. fact that they wrote in that affair or that thing with Paloma makes me think that Paloma's got to come back at some point, or Paloma's cousin, or that guy who was talking to Paloma's cousin that we don't know, still don't know who that guy was. Yeah, no, I agree. Something. I agree, but the Paloma and the whole affair storyline would be an easy scapegoat to blame um and like be like oh yeah that's the easy out that she's the most obvious but i don't know because we haven't seen paloma so it's hard to exactly say if it was paloma who was the spy or not i still think this mysterious guy who's been following frank around and knows about frank and paloma he might also be someone who's smart enough who knows english who knows how what's going on in manhattan that he might be another spy yeah Maybe everybody's a spy. Everyone, we can't trust anyone. That's the thing. <laughs> well, where's our first double agent? That's my question. When do we get the first double agent who's spying on the country he's actually spying on backwards to the first country? Yeah. You know? Did it? I, I think I predicted this mysterious man who's following Frank is a double agent. Is a double agent. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> I would love to see. Please be right so I have something to go off of. <laughs> well, speaking of Frank not spying wise, we do have a couple interesting scenes with him. He sort of takes a back seat today, actually. In a lot of ways, to, does, to yeah. Paul's story, to Charlie's story, um, which is sort of new for Frank. He's been obviously a focal point as a leading character, but today he takes a little bit of a back seat. Um, he does say one thing funny about Akeley when Akeley is standing waiting to go on his trip. And we'll come back with yeah. Akeley and Charlie, but before we do that with Frank, when he's standing waiting to go on his trip and Frank says, What's it like to be a scientist without the science? And Akeley immediately is like, What's it like to have a department? Without a department, department, which is brutal. Oh, <laughs> um, but two and, men just but going at it. Akeley offers him. He says, "My door is always open." And Frank obviously shuts him out. I don't think Frank would ever come over in that circumstance. We know that him and Charlie are working together. Akeley doesn't know that yet. Yeah. But even so, Akeley I think has this begrudging respect for Frank and says, "You're crazy. You're on your own team. We think what you're doing is wrong. Implosion doesn't work. Nobody respects you." But I know you're a good scientist. If you ever want to come over, I can use you. I may not like you or have to act like I like you, but yeah. I can still use you. But I got to give it to Akeley because we've been making all these episodes that Akeley's the bad guy. He's just probably the most misinformed and the most misunderstood I think from so. the audience. I think obviously Lancefield is a bad guy. Yes. Um, Lancefield has established that he's not a good man with good intentions. But we know Akeley, he has to just be... He seems like he was forced onto that leadership role, and he does, and he's just making do with what he has. And I think that's a perfect description of Akeley. Is he's he's definitely not a good guy in the classic sense. He's not a hero. He's not probably going to do anything amazing. He's not the most likable guy, but he's not unlikable. There's actually not that many reasons not to like him. He tells Charlie not to cheat on his wife. Yeah, which is and a noble I wrote thing. that was good on. Akeley yeah. to be the better man in that situation and let Charlie know, hey, this is infidelity, this is immoral, you shouldn't do it. I was like, all right, he's yeah. not he he's not as a sociopath as we're making him out to be. Yeah, what would Lancefield have said? If that was Lancefield's no. situation, what would he have said? He wouldn't have counseled Charlie that way. No. So good for Akeley for doing that. Again, he's not the most likable. He's kind of a, he's just kind of exists. He's just there. He's not the most intellectual guy. He's not the sharpest guy. He's but just a person with power. And position that he didn't want it. Begrudgingly, he took that position, yeah. but he's just doing what he can. Unless there's something else going on. Who knows? Mm -hmm. And I know they alluded to him meeting with the president. Obviously, this trip was not to go to the president, but he does have powerful connections if he's met with the president before. So maybe there is something else going on with Akeley 
good or bad. When you have that much power, Lord knows, but we don't know that yet. So I'll take him at face value and say he's not the worst guy in the world. No. Lance Fielder. And I think there's a bigger story with Akeley coming into the finale. Something's going to happen with him. Okay. He'll add more. Interesting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Babbitt now. Very briefly, clo- maybe close the book on him. I don't know. Glenn apparently has not. left Frank's team. He's working for Oppenheim and pushing papers. Is that a better position? Probably not. No. But a safer position? Probably yes. For Babbitt. I mean, we've seen the past episode with Babbitt questioning his loyalty to Frank and being like, no, I am a good person. I've always worked with you. I've always been by your side. But then to kind of not, I wouldn't say just up and leave, but easily take another position just to get away from everything. And even he even wants to get away from Frank. It's like we shouldn't talk anymore or talk for a while at least. And I think he might just be tired in general, not just a Frank, he not just, just a team. Know. Yeah, he just he he's going to collect a paycheck anyways, and not to maybe oversimplify his motives, but he's going to collect a paycheck anyways. He's stuck here. I think he's sick of kind of playing for this underdog team. It's one thing when you're young, and Frank's not young either, but it's one thing when you're Paul or Fritz or Meeks, and you can sort of feel against the world. You're like we've got a lot of energy. We're young, so we're we, we can fight it. We don't sleep a lot. If we did something like this, we could fight it and go through it, and we'd inspire ourselves. But when you're like 45, 50, 60, I think it probably gets, and I'm no. 60 year old so i don't know from experience but i'm guessing it gets a little more complicated just the simplest things fighting uphill battles being mm-hmm. that outsider you don't want to do it after a while and i think glenn might be there to say dude it's over you know like yeah. it's it's you what you what you're doing may be noble and it might even be right but i can't i can't play this game anymore because it's never going to happen for us and glenn can see reality I agree, because Glenn's more experienced. He he knows what battles to fight and what's not, and he's been fighting too long. And I think this, again, this was his easy way out. Yeah. Well, see you later, Glenn. Maybe, maybe not. Done with He'll the be drama. Back. Who knows? He'll probably be back. Let's face it. He is a likable guy. Yes. Um, let's circle back to Akeley now and not talk about Akeley and Frank, but what about Akeley and Charlie? So... First thing, and we knew this was going to happen. This is a classic television thing where <laughs> Akeley comes in about Helen. And Charlie, of course, thinks the conversation is about working with Frank. I, I know you knew it, too. It was yeah. going to be about Helen, obviously. Yeah. But we just get to see Charlie's reaction to how mortified he is. And Akeley says this noble thing. Um, I guess I will just get right down to it because this is the crux of the Akeley-Charlie situation. Does Paul, at the end of the episode, end up telling Akeley everything he needs to know? And that's the hard part because we now that questions with Paul and we'll get definitely get into Paul's story. But I'm not sure if he told everything or just things that he's speculating that he thinks he knows. Yeah. I mean, and it's not really hard substantial evidence he can go off of. It's just things that he's seen, rumor mills going around. I mean, he he really doesn't have both sides of the story. He just has his own perspective. And Paul's also hurt. Paul has his yes. perspective from like, being jaded himself. Hell hath no fairy like a man scorned. Whoa, no, no, like a woman scorned, like a I mean, woman scorned. He got, he's definitely jaded now, but... <laughs> let's not put those... He's very sensitive right now. Let's not even play that game. <laughs> no. He's very, very sensitive right now. <laughs> he is, no, he's totally heartbroken, which, and you know, let's get to him in a minute. Let's not even... I, I got a lot to say about Paul. Let's leave that in the dirt for a minute. Uh, but let's do Charlie and Akeley. So Lancefield has been hot on Charlie's tail for a while. And about this, about specifically about working with Frank. And we know Lancefield knows more than he has thus far let on, based mm-hmm, on some yeah. stuff in previous episodes. And today is the day where we find out what's going on. Head to head. And um, who won that battle? I'll just put it out there. We have the poker game. Obviously, they're playing Texas Hold'em. 
a local delicacy. This cracks me up actually about writing. A, a local delicacy is Hold'em. The reason Hold'em probably gets written into this show like it does every other show is because it's the World Series of Poker card game on ESPN. It's the famous card game in movies like Rounders. Great movie. Great Don't know if you've movie. Ever seen. Amazing movie. Thank love you for it. saying that. Like literally one of the best ever. I love that like, film. Like honestly, if you haven't seen Rounders. The cast is awesome. Go watch Rounders Edward right Norton. now. John Malkovich at his very Matt best. Damon. Like come on. Boom. Let's do let's do a, a, a anatomy of a movie on rounders. I'm so there. Even though it's like a 20 year old movie. <laughs> um, no, I'm so there. 99A is not 20 16, year olds. Come right. on. Okay. Still, it was a young Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, and Edward Norton. <laughs> it was a young Matt Damon. Moving on. All right, we digress. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so but the reason I say it is Texas Hold'em, of course, is the game. It's not a local delicacy. Maybe it was in New Mexico in the 40s, but it's just a game that that the television audience can understand. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's it's a very universal game. Yeah, everybody has kind of played it. You've been there, you know, the river and the turn. They're not that, that far from Texas either. <laughs> I guess. Geographic. I still, I'm a little whatever. whatever. Um, but they're playing this game, and Charlie kind of doubles down and obviously bluffs his way into a pot. And the bluff includes the microwave transmissions. Wow, that's huge. And even the the idea and the offer to sell his patents, like, no, I did the math. You can just put your name on it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I think... So Char- it just it makes me question just how... We know Charlie's very intelligent, but how much other scientific revelations does he know about already that we, the audience, just don't know? Who knows? I mean, it takes a lot to do what he has to do. He has to know every calculation on every little part of every little thing to do what he's doing managing Akeley's team now because he has to give them such specific stuff so they don't understand the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So to do that, for them not to understand the bigger picture, he has to see the entire picture. So for him to do that, and I know he's working with Frank who gets it too, but for him to do that, he needs to know everything about everything. So this is truly one of the smartest guys there. Um, oh, absolutely, and intelligence-wise. And it also just reflects and parallels the whole going head-to-head against um, against Tom because we know that Tom is always like out to get Charlie. Yeah. And this is just pretty much Charlie's very non-subtle way of showing, hey, you think you have something on me, but I'm going to outsmart you either way you do it, whether we're playing game or whether it's in real life. Yeah. I'm going to smart you every single time. Well, who do you think won that matchup between Lancefield and Charlie? Charlie. Because, really? Yeah, I think so. Are you sure? I mean, I know Charlie punched him, and I know he sort of, quote-unquote, defended Abby's honor in a way, although it really necessarily wasn't about Abby. It was more about this Frank thing. But do you think... By the end, when Lancefield walked off, said, did I wink, and then walked off, do you still think Charlie won? I still think he did. Really? Because mm-hmm. he's running terrified. He's horrified that Lancefield's going to turn him in. Well, Lancefield's also scared, too, to even threaten in the first place. That just comes from a place of insecurity. I think the danger, though, if Lancefield's dad owns U.S. Steel, if Lancefield has the connections he does, blah, blah, blah. I think He'll Lancefield, be fine. Yeah, he doesn't have much to lose. He doesn't have the same thing to lose as Charlie. Abby is very well connected, and we know this. Lancefield's very well connected, we know this. Charlie is an outsider and always has been. He might be smart, he might be capable, but he does not have the same connections. And he can't beat the army, he can't beat the government. Mm-hmm. Lancefield could land on his feet. So Lancefield doesn't have anything to lose, and he has everything to gain. And if it doesn't work out for him, I feel like he could shrug his shoulders and go work at U.S. Steel. Who cares? I mean, yes, that's very simple for Tom, but we know Charlie is too smart to let anything happen to him. And even if Tom keeps calling him out on his bluff. Charlie's too intelligent to keep fighting that off and be like, yes, I'm still going to have the upper hand on you. Charlie's not intelligent enough to prevent his wife from having an affair. Nope, apparently not. Just saying. But Charlie himself 
is smart enough to not let anything escalate to that point. We'll see, I guess. We'll see. It's good to see a punch we thrown, though. See. And it's yeah. good to see Charlie be a man a little bit. Like a, like a stereotypical Well, especially man. from the last episode when Abby was like, Tom put his hands on me and he did nothing. I was hoping for a scene where Charlie got to redeem himself for not doing anything. So now I'm glad just being a woman... You know, having a man stand up for her, yeah. especially in a situation like that. Although she didn't really necessarily appreciate it. No. Yeah. No. But to have Charlie being not quite the a-hole as we were expecting him for not doing anything, he did do something. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess so, he gets props a point. To Charlie. Sure. Yeah. Okay. He had that. He gets a retweet. I give him that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, sure. So, Lancefield and Poker we got with Charlie. Let's talk a little bit about Helen and Paul. And Charlie's a good transition point because Charlie and Helen break up. Break up. Notice the air quotes. They don't in actually front of break everybody. up, of course. But they break up in front of everybody. And, and Helen played it off real well. Yeah. Um, because of this supposed affair that they're not actually having, but everybody thought they were having. So they break up. But Helen and Paul, did you see a proposal coming from Paul? No. Not this soon. No. Well, first off, before we even get to the proposal on Paul, real quick sidebar, because it's in the very same scene, Fritz and Jeannie, still doing well, mm-hmm. it appears, yeah. probably still not having sex. She's still probably charging not. him by the quarter hour she charges him. <laughs> like, Fritz, dude, I know you're happy, and Jeannie seems like a very nice girl, but like, excuse my language, I'm sorry to say this, but you can't save a hoe. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. But You, you know, just can't. I know, but... <laughs> In we've fairness, all, we've all been there. Yes, no. In in <laughs> fairness, the story of, between Jeannie and Fritz is nothing compared to everything else that's going on. No, so I really don't mind. No, it. it's total levity. And and for all we know, in the season finale, he probably will save her or not save her that she needs saving. But you know what I'm saying? She'll she'll turn away from what she's been doing, mm-hmm. and and they'll be official or whatever it is. But. It's just a funny sidebar. It is. It's good it really to see is. them doing well, and it's good to see Fritz happy, even if they're not having sex, and he's still paying for her time. Time. Um, whatever. But Happiness. <laughs> hey, listen, we all pay for happiness in a lot of ways. Some of us that go to do. the spa. Some of us go on vacation. Some of us pay for prostitutes. Exactly. Who are we to judge? Yeah. I mean, that's what Fritz had to do. That's what Fritz wants to do. Let the man do it. Yep. Um, as long as he gets his work done, let him do it in his free time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or not do it. Just hang out. Um, all right, moving on. Let's talk, now let's talk Paul and Helen. So the proposal, obviously it came out of nowhere. It was a little bizarre. Knowing Paul's history, when all the British guys came a couple episodes, we learned about Paul and the kid and all that situation. Right. Paul's not a marrying type. And I know the speech he gave was about, you know, I've been running from everything. I've been running from myself. You're the one who makes me feel like I am. It was touching. Permission to be myself with you. That was really touching because we see Paul trying to be, even like joking at the beginning of the episode when he was with Helen. It's like, oh, you're so American and assimilating to the American culture. The catbird seat. The catbird seat, yes. I feel this was Paul's way of trying to become more of himself and become more comfortable in his surroundings with the people he's with. And maybe he gets that with Helen. But does he get it with Helen, or is he just desperate, or is he just lonely? You know, that's another thing. We've all been there. Like, are, are, are you really interested in that person, or are you just lonely or do you have a lot of free time or or is it just there because of your social situation and i, I feel like paul there are a lot of variables in this relationship obviously i just but, i feel like he convinced himself of something that wasn't actually there and helen was right to reject him and helen was right to not do it and helen's right because that's not her but i don't think it's paul either i think he's lying to himself 
I think, yes, this is coming from a place of desperation, Paul, because he wants something so much that he's willing to propose for something that he thinks is th- there's the potential for a future. Yeah. But is it really, would it really be there? He wants it, but does he have it? That's the question. And I don't think he does. And I'm, I'm glad that Helen didn't really say yes and turn him down in that way because we know as an audience member, this is not Helen. And oh, she, not at all. She would not. She's not the marrying type. Yeah, not at all. Definitely not Helen. She's not. From the very start of this episode, she's not the marrying type. When they go camping, she doesn't want the flower in her hair. She doesn't want any sort of memory. She doesn't even want to go in public for the date. She no. was nervous about that with the double with Fritz and Jeannie or whatever. So this is not for her. It's a weird story for Paul. Um, I don't really understand... I don't know. We'll see where it goes in the next couple episodes. I just don't really understand his obsession with her. Not obsession, but his his feeling for her got very, very strong very, very, very quickly. Well, we did see it in a couple episodes back when the, the boys were having fun and they were high on mushrooms. And Paul was like, I believe I'm in love with Helen. So we know these feelings have been building for some time and to this point where he did propose. So it might be more Paul's feeling more towards Helen than Helen is. And they are the two non-Americans on that team. So maybe they, he felt maybe at least erroneously that they bonded over that or whatever else Mm -hmm. it was. But I remember a couple episodes ago, Helen's in bed with him. And the thing about joking about, you know, who was that? And she goes, or he says, who was that is another army suitor or whatever. So he knows what she does. Like he knows her M.O., I guess, and apparently didn't bother him. He wasn't threatened by it. He wasn't like, stop dating or whatever. It's just us. So, you know. But maybe Paul likes that. Who knows? I mean, it's crazy. It's definitely a very complicated (laughs) relationship. Uh, Hashtag it's complicated. Yeah, to to put it bluntly. And then we've got the catbird seat, which is the interesting connection with Paul here. He hears at the start of the... He puts two and two together. Which is cool, I think. Yeah. He hears at the start of the thing, Helen say catbird seat about implosion. And then by the end of the episode, he hears Frank say catbird seat about implosion. Now... Obviously, we make the connection that Paul did, that Helen got the phrase from Frank, which would make sense. But I have to feel like in the 40s, catbird seat might have been a very common phrase anyways. Yeah, so it's an idiom. I mean, we don't really say it nowadays. But it's plausible but. she could have gotten it elsewhere, and Frank could have used it coincidentally. Of course, in Los Alamos, nothing happens by accident. But yeah, but that's a very specific yeah. way. Uh, that's a very specific idiom. And to say... Basically, in the same intonation and syncopation that and Helen the, did at the beginning and Frank did at the end. On the same topic, both on specifically on implosion. Yeah. So he yeah. put it together. I mean, and they are in a small area. Only certain people know. He yeah. he could really just pinpoint whoever was connected to that. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. So that's interesting. Obviously, we'll see what he ended up telling Akeley in full or in part or whatever that is. Um, and we'll see what Akeley does. Yeah, I mean, it's questionable because now Paul's very sensitive after being just turned down by the love of his life. And then, but my only thing is, where's Paul's loyalty now? Because we saw a few episodes back when Paul was threatening to leave Frank and then Frank, you know, helped him out and that. And then he's like, yes, um, go team implosion. He, he was all towards Frank. But now it seems like his loyalty has changed again. Yeah. So he he's kind of gone rogue in that way. It's like, you do him wrong, he's going to switch to any team. Which and anybody who's going to be on his side. And it's another point that Paul has no idea what he wants and why he shouldn't have asked Helen to marry him because he's not, he has no clue what he wants in his life. And he's know? jumping to conclusions. Yeah. He doesn't know everything. 
We should get him one of those office space jumping to conclusions mats. <laughs> you remember those? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, cool. I just yeah, wanted to add that. I don't know. Um, all right, let's talk about they Abby. They didn't have them back then, though. <laughs> let's talk about Abby and Elodie, our, our hot, like, lesbian love affair now, which has really grown. Abby's totally into it. I know we kind of debated the last few weeks about Elodie being a predator or Elodie manipulating Abby. Manipulation or not, right now, today, Abby's all the way in. So she's as culpable as Elodie is at this point if she wasn't already. All the way in. To the point where she has a secret account with money in that she stored herself that Charlie doesn't even know about. So using her own personal stash to get away with Elodie. Whoa. Yeah, Abby's in. That's now. serious. That That's serious. She's, she's in. She's ready to go. They're playing this game, which was like not a poor person, but a 1940s pre-technology person's version of like Google Maps, <laughs> yeah. the Atlas. You're like, let's just put a pin in the Atlas. Let's look on paper. But that's how people, you know, did it back then. Oh, no, like, I, mean, I want to travel the world. Where should we go? Yeah, they would have had to. You just can't like, like today, if we wanted to learn about Tangier, we'd go on Wikipedia or we'd go on like some travel, you know, advisor website or something. Be like, well, let's see what Tangier is like. Back then they're like, oh, well, let's just put a pin in the map and then let's maybe think what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good that Elodie is more well-versed in yeah. the universe right now because she is European. She's French. She knows what's going on on the other side of the world. Abby doesn't. So I'm glad that Elodie brought her perspective in it. She's like, no, we can't go here and here because the war, the world is completely different and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, Abby's ignorant enough to suggest Albuquerque Kirky, which is like 60 miles away. Yeah, which and isn't then, far. People could find you. And then she's ignorant miles. enough to suggest Paris, which has been destroyed or is being destroyed in the war. Mm-hmm. And then she has probably has no idea who Franco is. When Elodie mentions Franco, Tangier's good. Franco left it open. It's for artists and stuff. Abby doesn't know who Franco is. And also, if you, I mean, this is World War II, Tangier, Morocco. I mean, we have back in 19, that, well, the year is 1943, but 1942, American and Britain were invading Morocco, you know, putting the yeah. American troops there. Yeah. So, I mean, there there is the war going on, but that is is a safe place because our our men and our allies are there. Yeah, theoretically, but it, theoretically, I just wonder. Well, let's cut to it at the very end. Then, did Abby end up? Putting those papers in that little crawl space in the kitchen when she was getting wine for Elodie. Go. I think so because when she went to go to Charlie, she her hand her, her arms were covering her. And, you know, she was in very defensive mode and she couldn't even speak. And she knew that she destroyed a really good relationship that she was building. And she knew what she did was wrong, but she did it. And she couldn't even get allow herself to say it because she's so in shock that she even went with it. Oh, goodness. I mean, <laughs> I some, say, I'm surprised with Abby, though. I would say, I too. I did not think she had the, the guts to do that. I didn't think she had the guts to do it either, but I think what ended up convincing her, she probably wasn't going to do it. And then when she went and got the wine for Elodie, she looked out the window. Do you remember that? And mm, she saw yeah. the family. And she saw the mom and the dad and the two kids walking around. And, and it changed her. She was smiling. And then she looked at that. And she totally got very emotional. And then she looked at the crawl space. And I think as much as Abby doesn't know who she is, wants to rebel, has this thing with Elodie, is considering the romantic idea of traveling, I think deep down Abby still wants the white picket fence in the family. And she knows that if she... She can't get it with Elodie. She can't get it with Elodie, even in another country, especially in another country, even if they're acceptable, accepted in their their lifestyle or whatever in Tangier, she's not going to have the kids in the white picket fence. And she wants that, and the only way she gets that is with Charlie. Charlie. And so her, her idea when she sees that family is... 
there's a life outside of this war. This war will end, and it will. Give it a couple years. This war will end. There's a life to be had. He and I can settle down. And Abby, hint, breaking news, after the war, the economy gets really good again. Mm-hmm. Baby yeah. boomers, man. Baby boomers. So you're going to have a nice, if you stick with Charlie, you might have a nice little life Big in America. Family. Yeah. <laughs> you might have a little white picket fence action here in uh, here in America. And she doesn't know that, obviously. But yeah. I think that family sort of convinced her was, was sort of the metaphor of this is the life I still want to have. We can still celebrate all the things families celebrate. It doesn't seem like it now. But this family represents what I want. Yeah, and she has the potential to have that. Yeah. And she's going to have to stick it with Charlie, even though giving up her relationship with Elodie. And and, and she just picked priorities. As much as she's yes, now into Elodie, and she's into Elodie, whether it's just physically or there's even a romantic interest there. I don't. We could debate whether you can be in love with two people at the same time. We don't have enough time to do I th- that. Probably, I, think it's, I don't really think from Abby and Elodie, it's really love. I think it's more lust. Just lust. And, yes. and it's probably a and friendship. And the idea, the, the idolization and idealization of having a better life and going somewhere else because they're stuck in this one area. I completely understand wanting to be somewhere else with someone that you're going to be happy with. Yeah. But eventually you're right now, she has to just deal with what she has. And I I don't, I think it was that realization. She's not going to get it with Elodie. Which is, and and cheating is never right. Having an affair is never right. But for Abby, from her perspective, maybe she just needs to understand Elodie was a diversion and a time passer and even though that's not morally correct it's it's in a weird way She's a filler yeah it's not defensible in that way but in a weird way you can understand maybe if abby looks at it like that and say we're passing time i'm filling time mm-hmm. I, I i'm seeking out companionship my husband doesn't and can't and won't give me right now that doesn't make it right no but it doesn't it it still at least you can maybe understand her motives as wrong as they are but if the motive is true love I'm not feeling it. And I don't think it's true love. Yeah. I think it's lust. Yeah. And the, and the idea of loving what she can do, but not. And you have to weigh things. Is, is Pros and cons. Not that we like Elodie, but we know Abby likes Elodie on some level. And that's okay. But we have to weigh Abby's infatuation or lust or whatever with Elodie with everybody's intense hate of Tom Lansfield. Everybody. Everybody. Nobody likes that guy. So you've got like, you know, Elodie and Abby, Tom Lansfield. Like, I feel like this one. Who's better with each other? Yeah. And I think Tom Lansfield, as much as as Abby might like Elodie, she hates Tom more. And she knows Charlie hates Tom more. So it's time for Tom to see you later. Yep. Out. Peace. And they they were gone. Got arrested. Yeah. Well, see you later, Tom. Yep. Goodbye. And Elodie. As they say, vaya con Dios. Yeah. As Paloma would say, vaya con Dios. Speaking of that, let's do predictions. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. I predict we do the whole show next week in Spanish. No, I'm just kidding. All right, let's do it. Can you speak Spanish? Yeah. Uh, well, crap. You do Spanish. I'll do French. We'll try to talk to each other. Okay. There's enough cognates we could probably pick it up. Probably. Viewers, turn it off the show left and right. And we do not provide subtitles. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're not typing those out. Um, All right. Let's get to predictions. What do you think? What's coming up next week? Oh, okay. So we we just saw a little bit of Liza tonight. We know she has methaphene and barbell, which yeah, is... Yeah, barely any Liza. That's yeah, a good point. Which is a, it's a sedative. and But we also know when she was talking to the the people who had taken down that tree, she's a protester. So I think that's oh, what totally. she, she got in trouble for. 
Total. I mean, we know that she there was something in her past that got to question her mental stability, but we know now she's a protester and she stands up. And I think she she's gonna find out about all this because we see next episode in the previous that she's gonna be talking to people and get people questioning everything that's going on. So she's gonna be a big force next week and revealing everything that's going on in Manhattan. I think prediction wise, as much as we. I guess we can say we like Akeley. Sure, we like him. We don't mind Akeley. We tolerate him. We tolerate Akeley. However, with Frank and Charlie working together, Akeley can no longer be tolerated. Especially when he knows whatever Paul ended up telling him however much. So, we have to find a way to get rid of Akeley. And Charlie planting stuff on Tom to get rid of Tom, the same thing has to happen with Akeley. They have to find a way to get rid of him because as much as Akeley has a begrudging respect for Tom, as much as Akeley recognizes Charlie is smart, and as much as Akeley is not as bad of a guy as we thought he was at the start of the season, mm-hmm. he still is not going to be down for what's going on, especially under his watch as manager. Hell no. So we got to get rid of Akeley at some point. Charlie has to flip up over Akeley, plant something with him, get him, get rid of him in some way. It's a game of chess. Yeah, have him transferred. Akeley's got to go. I mean, well, yeah, uh, I think a lot of people are going to go. Because we're seeing team team implosion slowly go away. Paul now and Babbitt, so no one's really left. And even Helen went to Team Charlie yeah. for the time being. But a lot of people are going to leave, and I think Akeley's the next one to go. Whether it be because if it's for like spying, that the penalty is execution, yeah, and that's a serious offense. So uh, a lot of people are going to leave. I think Akeley's yes, like you said, the next to go. The next to go. See you later. But I hope, but that's also going to be reflected on Frank and Charlie because if they're um, pointing fingers at people and framing them, they're going to be accused by someone else that they're spies as well. They're, people are going to find out Just what's going on. Just total speculation. If we had to lose one between Frank and Charlie, who do you think we'd lose? Charlie. I do too. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Good. So <laughs> and done. So we're in agreement. Yeah. All right. Okay. We can't lose Frank. He's no. not going anywhere. Yeah. And if we lose Fritz, I'm protesting. If we lose Fritz, if for some reason he gets called for spying or whatever and he goes, I go. If we lose Fritz, I'm gone. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Well, I don't think we'll lose Fritz. I don't think we'll either. He, you yeah. need the comic relief. He's a nice he's guy. He's too innocent of a person to That's what I'm saying. pull that off. <laughs> if we lose Fritz, you know, whether he's wrongfully accused or whatever, if the storyline comes up and Fritz is the man with his head on the chopping block, I just won't even watch the rest of the episodes. Mm. I'm done. No, you would. <laughs> Don't I'm lie. Just, I'm you just trying to protest out there. I love Fritz. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, that's it this week. We'll be back next week. we got two more episodes after two this more. before the end of the season. So, so that's good. We have a lot coming up. Obviously, the next two weeks are going to be huge. I don't know what happened to my voice there. I got excited. Huge. Sorry. Really huge. All right. Hey, mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, social media. Marissa, where can they find you? Everyone can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. Serafini TV. I'm on Twitter at Bobby DeMiro. Instagram at Mr. Bobby DeMiro. I gave up Snapchat. <gasps> Did you now? I just got bored of it. Like, I was getting a ton of Thank Snapchats. Thank you very stuff, much. But I just, like, it was wasting time. That's where I was a year and a half ago. God. <laughs> Well, I am a year and a half behind you and a year and a half less intelligent. Guys, that's it this week on the Manhattan After Show on AfterBuzz. We'll see you a week from today for episode 12. See you then. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After Shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later.
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.